do you hear what I hear? The message of Christmas. Do you hear the message of Christmas? Maybe you remember that old song as the little child or little lamb was in the field and went like this. Said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you hear what I hear? Do you remember that? You think, I, I know that song. Thank you very much for singing that for me. I already knew that song. Maybe you're thinking the same thing about that story. You're thinking, I've heard the Christmas story before. I've heard it from Luke. I've heard it from Matthew. I've heard it a thousand times. You're not going to teach me anything. I hope you'll do something else. I've, I already know that story. Maybe that's you tonight. Well, let's see if you really know that story. So let me ask you a few questions. There is one character, and this individual is a major character, a significant character, that we never hear any words spoken. We don't have any lines by this individual, either in Matthew or in Luke. Who's that person? Do you know? Who? Yeah, usually it's a five-year-old, but thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> Joseph. All right. Let's see if you can get this one, though. What were the angels commanded to do? And by the way, if you came to two services, you don't get to answer these questions, all right? What were the angels commanded to do? Anybody know? That's what we think. <laughs> but actually, they weren't commanded to do anything. The announcement was just made to them, and they chose to go and tell everyone. Let me give you another trick question about angels. What did the angels sing? What did they sing? Do you hear what I hear? Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> you got me on that one, buddy. <laughs> Actually, we don't know because the Bible doesn't say they sang anything. It says sang. Never says that they sung. We, we kind of fill it in there, and maybe they did, but that's not what the Scripture tells us. Here's another interesting fact. If you read Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, 23 different times the word all or entire is used. It's used over and over and over, kind of that uh, approach that everyone is invited to come and know. And maybe you didn't know those things. So if that's true, could there be anything else that we miss sometimes as we read this story? I want us to, to see the messengers, the message, and the message commitment. The messengers, the message, and the message commitment. As we read this story, uh, we're going to notice uh, shepherds are a big part of this story. And as we read it, you know, I think it's interesting that shepherds are used. Um, you sometimes read, historians will say, shepherds were really low class and they were despised. And, and by a lot of cultures, they were, not necessarily among the Semitic culture, uh, it was, don't get me wrong, it was the lower economic rim, but, you know, a lot of people were shepherds in Scripture. That terminology is used over and over in Scripture. Matter of fact, the word pastor, you know where it comes from? Shepherd. I think I should get me one of these that's not plastic, though, but nevertheless, <laughs> if you go back and you look at Scripture, you'll see that there was a shepherd very early. His name was Abel. Go back and read Genesis chapter 4. That's what Abel did. He was a shepherd. The father of Judaism, Abraham, was a shepherd. Jacob, Jacob, the, the, the name that we get Israel, his name was changed to Israel. He was a shepherd. Moses, Moses gets a divine revelation from an angel too as a shepherd in the fields. David, the greatest king of Israel up to that point, 
He was a shepherd. One of the most famous chapters in all the Old Testament, Psalms 23. How does it start? The Lord is my shepherd. John chapter 10, Jesus defines himself or calls himself the good shepherd. We see that term used a lot, and it kind of gives us an indication of how and who God is and how he cares for us and, and what we are. And the message of Christmas is this, that God came to earth, that God came to earth in the form of man. He came to us. That's the true message of Christmas. Let's read, and maybe we'll catch some things that we haven't caught before. So let's start in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now it says in the same region. And if you know anything about uh, the, the geography of Israel, you know that Jerusalem is the center. It's kind of the capital city, so to speak. And Bethlehem is right below it, just south of it, just about five miles not far at all. I remember my wife and I just a few years ago when we were in Jerusalem. I remember when we went to Bethlehem, we were there just like that. And even back then, five or six miles wasn't that far. Also, the field outside of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, had a specific name. It was called the Shepherd's Field. And it was a consecrated area. And the reason being that the sheep that were raised there were to be temple sacrifices. They were the sacrifices that would be offered on behalf of the people. And this is where they were being raised. And so these shepherds had to have extra credentials. They had to understand the scripture. They had to understand that this sheep has to be unblemished. It has to be a perfect and proper lamb. And so these shepherds uh, would reside in these particular fields. And um, some would say that, there, that there's a prophecy in uh, Micah chapter 4 verse 8. Uh, and it refers to something called uh, Miguel Adar. And it simply means the, the, the tower. And usually in places where there were a lot of sheep, they would build little towers, so to speak. They wouldn't be real high, but they might be 10 feet, 12 feet high. And at night, the person who was on watch would stand up there where they could see all the sheep. The other shepherds would go uh, inside and they would sleep. Also, when uh, a sheep, a ewe, was about to have a, a baby, a lamb... They would bring them inside that tower, and that's where they would be birthed. And then it's interesting what those shepherds in particular would do. And again, these are, so to speak, temple shepherds. They're the shepherds that work for the priest and are responsible to the priest. They would take that lamb, and you know what they would do with it? They would wrap it with swaddling cloths because this lamb had to be perfect. It couldn't have a nick or a cut. They wanted to keep it well and warm, and so they would wrap that newborn lamb with swaddling cloths. And the Bible says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, there's that word all, by the way, for all the people. For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So we've seen the messengers, the shepherds. This message has been given to them. And today, most people still are looking, a lot of people today are still looking for the revelation. I would like a big, spectacular revelation. I want angels singing to me or talking to me or whatever. That's what a lot of people are looking for. But you know what happens is most people, most people, you know what you get? 
You get a shepherd. That's what most of us get. We get a shepherd. That's who usually tells us about the gospel. And it might not be the pastor. It might just be a parent or a friend who tells you the good news. It's usually not uh, a divine revelation. It's the truth of the Spirit speaking to you through a parent, a friend, a brother, a sister, sometimes through a child. The Bible says this is the message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which was prophesied in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the Savior, the Messiah, would come from Bethlehem. In the city of David, a Savior. That word typically means one who rescues, one who saves. Uh, but the way it's used here, it's a continual, a Savior. And that's certainly the people, of the, of the Jewish people were expecting and praying for. Someone who would come and rescue them from Roman oppression. One who is the Christ. Oh, that means Messiah. That's a title for the Messiah. So someone who's going to rescue us, someone who's going to save us. The Messiah, we've been praying that the Messiah was come. But then there was something extra added here. Who is Christ? The Lord. The Lord. Now, anytime you see that word Lord in Scripture, when you see it in uppercase, it's talking about Yahweh. The Jews would use this term Adonai uh, because they didn't want to, they, they thought of the, the name Yahweh being so holy they wouldn't speak it. By the way, we don't really know how that word's pronounced. I'm saying Yahweh. I pretty much assure you that that's not correct. We don't know exactly how it was pronounced, and we don't exactly know all the lettering. But to our best of our ability, it's something, we think it's something of that nature, but they wouldn't speak that. So they would call him the Lord. And anytime you see it capitalized, you see the Lord like that, it's talking about God. He's talking about the Father. And this would have blown a lot of their minds. Yes, we're looking for someone who will rescue us, someone who will save us. But remember what the Scripture said, he shall save them from their sins. We're looking for the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. But the Lord, God, comes to earth. God come in the form of flesh. This was a new revelation. This was unbelievable. But this is the message of Christmas, that the Savior has come, the promised Messiah, and he is the Lord God. And the scripture says, and this will be a sign for you. Now notice, remember we talked about those shepherds and how they would wrap them in swaddling cloth, the lambs. This is going to be a sign for you. And this is what would have really resonated with these shepherds. The sign, it's a sign. There are a lot of babies born. And we're not exactly sure where they were born. It, some believe it was maybe in this Megal Eder or maybe in a cave or maybe in a home that basically it was an extra room, so to speak, where the cattle and, or the sheep would reside at night. That may have been. We're not exactly sure. We're pretty sure it wasn't a hotel, just so you know. But nevertheless, that's a whole other sermon. Um, so that wouldn't have been totally uncharacteristic, but that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger this is the image of the shepherd that they saw all the time. And it's in this area. And the Bible says, and this will be a sign. The baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feed trough. Wow. And what's interesting, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And here's that word saying, instead of singing, saying, I like to think they sing anyway, but nevertheless, it doesn't say that. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds on their own accord. Why? Because they've heard this great message and they believe it. They believe it to be true and the sign has been given to them. And so they have a commitment. So the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So they leave the field, the the greater area of Jerusalem, the shepherd's field, and they head that direction. And the Bible says, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. What was the saying? That this would be the Savior the Christ, the Lord. And verse 18 says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They wondered, they mused, they are, were just kind of really overwhelmed. He, they said that this would be the Savior and Messiah. Yes, the Lord. It's the message of hope. It's the message of the gospel. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She memorizes it. She puts it in the back of her mind, and she remembers this as Jesus grows and as the miracles are performed. She remembers, and the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. We see the messengers. We see the message, and then we see the commitment to the message that they believed. It wasn't like they had expected. And often when we hear the gospel, it's not a divine revelation. It's not what always we expect. It's often a simple message that we know is true. We know that it takes an act of faith. We can't see it all. We don't understand it all. But it's the truth of God piercing our soul as we hear it, as we know it. There's a great story that I love. It's about a World War II uh, officer in the Navy, and his name was John Blanchard, and he had received his orders to ship out, but he had two days in New York City, and while he was there, he looked around for a little bit, and the next day he decided, I'm just, I'm kind of overwhelmed. I want to just chill out a little bit. I'm going to go to the library and check out a book and just read it this last day that I'm here. So he went to the library and he checked out a book and he really enjoyed the book. But what he really fell in love with were the notes that were written in the margins. In each one of the margins of the page, these insights were written by someone who must have had the book before. And he marveled and he was just captivated by the book, but even more so by the notes And he read through that whole book. And about the time the library is about to close, he finished. And when he got the last page, he noticed there was a name. Someone had donated this book. And it was this person who must have written all these notes. Her name was Hollis Maynard. And he thought to himself, my goodness, I've got to meet this person. I so resonate with their spirit. I've got to meet them. And so here it is at night. He's shipping out early the next morning. And so he does some detective work, and he's able to find four names with those addresses, four different people it could have been. And so he took down their addresses, he wrote them a letter, each one of them a letter, and he dropped it in the mailbox, and it basically said, my name is John Blanchard, I'm shipping off to sea in the morning, 
but I've read this book and I've read your notes and I've thoroughly enjoyed reading your notes. I would love to correspond with you more about the book and more just about your insights. Would you please write me? So a few weeks went by and sure enough, John receives this letter and it's from Hollis Maynard, the, the, the woman who had written the notes in the book. And he was so thrilled to get it, and he reads her, her letter, and she was uh, thrilled to have the opportunity to correspond with him. And so they start writing each other almost every day. A year goes by, and he finally says, sends her a picture and said, here's a picture of me. He was in his uniform. said, I would love for you to send me a picture as well. But she declined on that offer. She said, thanks, but no thanks. But she continued to write him, and he wondered, why won't she send me a picture? And he thought, maybe I know why she won't send me a picture, but nevertheless, they continue to write each other, and he just grew more and more, uh, so to speak, almost in love with her, certainly infatuated and united by the words that she was writing. And so finally, the war was over, and he wrote to her and said, is there any way I could meet you? She said, sure. She said, come to Grand Central Station, and there's a specific spot there in Grand Central Station where there is a bench, and I'll be sitting there. And even if I'm not sitting there, I'll be wearing a big red rose on my dress so you'll know it's me. So he said, absolutely, that's great. So the day came. He got on the subway. He came to New York Harbor. He got, got there. He got on the subway. And as he was about to pull up, he looked out the window. And that spot where she was supposed to be, he noticed there were two women on that park bench. One was a beautiful, young, brown-headed woman in a beautiful blue dress. And his heart kind of had a giddy-up in it. He got excited. And then the other was an older woman, a little bit overweight, very simple looking, and, and, and much older than him, or at least you know, somewhat older than him, older than he would have probably liked. And nevertheless, he, uh, as he starts to get off, the young woman gets up and walks away. And then as he steps off, he notices that the older woman has the red rose on her dress. He sighed, and he thought, what do I do? He goes, you know what? I have a connection with this woman, and no matter what it is or what happens, I want to continue to visit with her and talk to her and get to know her. There's something special about her regardless of what this relationship will end up looking like. So he decides to walk over to her and see her, and he walks over and says, um, Hello, Hollis, my name is John Blanchard, and I'm so excited to finally meet you. Um, where would you like to go to dinner? And the older lady looked at him, and she goes, Young man, I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but that lady, that young lady that was just sitting over here, she asked me to put this rose on my dress, and that if you came up and spoke to me and asked me to dinner to tell, tell you that she's sitting over at the diner right across the street waiting for you. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes we hear this message, and it's not what we think we're looking for. It's like God makes this request and we think, no, I'm looking for something else. I'm looking at something else more spectacular. But the message of Christmas this, that God came to earth so that you might know him. A perfect and holy God said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son. And even though you think, I'm a good guy, I'm a good girl, and I work hard and I try to do good things. God says, you know what, I'm perfect and I'm holy. And until you come to that place to where your sins are covered, you cannot be in my presence. You cannot be my child. 
So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to send I'm going to send my son to earth, God in the flesh. And he's going to live the life that you should have lived and die the death that you should have died. And if you will put your faith and trust in him and transform your trust from your good deeds, from your opinions, from your thoughts, from your own religion to what Christ has done for you, to the claim that he has made that he is Christ the Lord and make him your savior, then I will forgive you. I will accept you. And that's exactly what he's done. And that's exactly the message of Christmas. Do you hear the message of Christmas? Let's pray. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ. You've never made that commitment where you transfer your trust from anything else you could do or anyone else has ever done to what Jesus has done for you. And you committed not to just be your Savior, but to be your Lord, to be the God of your life on the throne calling the shots. And you've never transferred your trust to him in faith. If you've not done that, I invite you to do that tonight by saying, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I am not good enough to earn my way into God's presence. But I believe that you have lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. And that you have covered my sins. And if I will put my faith in you and put my trust in you and make a commitment to you to be my God, then you shall save me. You will cover me. So Jesus, right now I do that. Come into my life, take over, be my Lord, be my Savior. If you've not done that, I invite you to do that now. Pray that in your heart. Invite him to be your Savior tonight. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the beautiful message of Christmas. Draw those who need to know you tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.